When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to The Athletic MBA Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to Tampering. We're this beautiful game of basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. With Sam Panic. Uh-huh, uh-huh, to be able to bring uh-huh. people together. Reportedly at the center of an NBA investigation into tampering accusations. And the message to executives in the league is not talking about players on other teams. What did I do? The charges filed. Impermissible contact. Oh, right or wrong? Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. <laughs> awkward to even talk about it. I can't even mention teams anymore. Actually, what I like to play with Kevin Durant. The trial you want with tampering. They're always ahead of the rules. Is that rocket science? Yeah, but we don't think I have tampered with the guys. I didn't tamper. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast, part of the Athletic NBA Show Network. I'm Sam Amick, NBA National Writer at The Athletic, back in my humble abode, back with a familiar background of uh, the home estate, which means we are done with the NBA Finals. We are into the NBA offseason. I am with my guys, Fred Katz, Anthony Slater, here to make the rounds. We have lists. We have teams, we have chatter to talk about, free agency draft coming up next. I got my order wrong. We are only a couple days away from the draft. Gentlemen, we always know this time of year, it is a hard pivot. You know, Slater and I were on that NBA Finals road covering the Warriors and the Celtics. Their teams obviously, are in, or their fan bases rather, engaged and interested and and uh, with good reason. That's basketball's biggest stage, but the rest of the fan bases out there have been dying for this time of year. And Fred, you know, since you were the uh, the interim Memphis Grizzlies beat writer and your team bowed out a while ago, you, you've had more time than us to get ready for all this. What Your thoughts, your feelings, your your vibe. What's up, brother? Before Fred gets going, I mean, Sam, we're like the two – we just finished like the school year, right? We're just like first week of summer, like just kind of <laughs> trying to ease into summer. And Fred's calling us up like, y'all want to do a homework assignment, voluntary homework assignment? <laughs> All right, well, now i got to share the backstory. We have – this is – I love – listen, uh, you know, variety is the spice of life. And Fred and I are, in a, you know, for sure wired a little bit differently. And I do love the variety. We're like, you know, I'm going to bring it back to the finals. Like, the Warriors are great because Draymond and Steph and Clay are different. Clay is vibing in his own space. Steph is the way he is. Draymond's coming at you all the time. Fred – uh, sends us these notes, you know, and he's always got great ideas. He's more organized than me. And, you know, what are you guys thinking for this week's pod? You know, let, let's have five teams each. And that's, you know, a good enough idea to where we would analyze each team's offseason and what we're looking at, you know. But then we go to jump on the pod and say, did you guys rank them? Did you guys put them in order? Like, what's your rank? Good Lord, Fred. Like he said, I, I was in a pool yesterday, all right? We're just trying to take a breath here. Look, you you say that it's a hard pivot for you guys. I cover the Knicks. This <laughs> this pivot for me is coming with all the speed of a Robin Lopez hook shot. Like 
This is this is not a, a hard very Fred reference there. This is a thing that I just sit around thinking about all the time and have for two and a half months. So all right, you know what? If you want to talk most interesting off seasons, I've been I've been sitting around thinking, hmm, you know, Portland's got a pretty interesting summer coming up for like ten weeks. All right, then I like it. You are the natural first guy to go is, here. Is uh, that a hint that Portland is number one on your list? Portland's well, I'll throw it to list. you this way, since I, I want to try to offer something to the program, but you, you're going to be the rock star of this particular episode. Um, Damian Lillard out there tweeting about yeah, the Phoenix Suns. Did you guys see the tweet he had about the, the Phoenix Suns workout video um, where it was, he said, laugh at my F, LMFAO. About remember the Suns workout video? Yeah, I remember Sam Amick was there and was. I was in the video. Yeah, I'm ultra in the back. impressed. I mean, Sam Amick was like, I mean, this team's about to rumble through the playoffs. I Look know. at this! Look at this post game workout. Dame clearly was reading the, the Suns coverage at the Athletic, but he laughed at what now the you know optics wise appears to be a video that just kind of had them out there like as if they were better than everybody else. But I kind of was like, come on, Dame! Like your team you know, is in a very tenuous state with a roster that we have no idea what's going to happen. Uh, you know, laughing at a team that had the league's best record and that happened to fall short in, in tough fashion in the playoffs is a weird look. But with that said, Fred, what what do the Blazers have ahead of them? What do we uh, what do we feel about their offseason? Yeah, I just I just feel like that team. I'm personally pretty intrigued and we're talking five most interesting off seasons. We all came with our with our stuff. Some of us ranked. Some of us didn't. <laughs> Where is Portland ranked on your list? I do have Portland number one. Hey, okay. and I, I first start. order, but why the heck not? I mentioned it, so we'll go Portland one. And it's, I'm absolutely fascinated by what the heck they are going to do this summer because they won 27 last year, very intentionally. Dame missed a heavy chunk of the season, and they just to, we are throwing in the towel on the season. We're going to lose as much as possible and try to get a good draft pick. They ended up picking number seven. They're obviously not enthused about that. You ask anybody, any team in the league, and they will, oh yeah, Portland is making number seven very available. And they kind of have to, because they have their 2023 pick that's being sent out right now, and that's protected all the way through 2028. If they want to move good draft capital, they kind of have to move that number seven pick. They have a massive trade exception. They can bring in a guy who makes up to almost $21 million dollars uh, even though they're probably going to operate as an over-the-cap team. Uh, and they're just they're, – they got Nurkic as a free agent. They're on the prowl for some sort of difference maker. And it seems like every single time a wing or a power forward who makes within the salary of that trade exception comes up, they're tied to them. OG Ananobi, Jeremy Grant. Jeremy Grant fits into that trade exception by $9,000. It is It is like trade exception kismet. If he ends up going there in that deal for like number seven, and I don't know if that's something Portland would do, <laughs> or if uh, if that's something that Detroit would do, uh, but that is a really interesting offseason because look, it's not like they were rolling and then Dame got hurt and they decided to intentionally throw it in and trade Robert Covington. They are trying to win off right. of a twenty-seven no. win team that really was the caliber of like it's not like they're really the caliber of a forty-five win team. They're really the caliber of a 35, 37 win team. And they're trying to be competitive next year when the West is going to be loaded. And I don't, I don't know how they're going to do it. And I am so interested to see how they're going to try. I remember. Yeah, I mean, color me extremely skeptical 
Um, I really don't see it. I know there's so many, you know, kind of moving parts and blank spots there that, that there's no way of really handicapping it. The Jeremy Grant thing has been real for quite some time in terms of a guy that Damian Lillard would like to play with, you know, that much we know. Um, you know, Dame also is, I think, for sure on the short list of influential star players in, you know, the respective front offices of the team he plays for now. You know, Joe Cronin's, a lot of his kind of vitality in that role is tied to his relationship with Damian and the spirit of, of that, which is extremely, extremely player-inclusive, player-heavy. Um, but I still, uh, that's kind of why I hit on the Suns tweet. Like, man, like, stay humble because... I am not seeing it for next year at all. I'm not either, but where Fred's right is it's clearly the plan. And I even got the sense, I remember going up to Portland a few times this year, and, and it was when they were pivoting and, you know, they traded a bunch of guys and were shutting down Dame, having him get the surgery, which made sense. Uh, and it did, like, yeah, go go get yourself a nice lottery pick. But they'd be like, especially with the Warriors in town, they'd be like, it's basically like the year that the Warriors went 15 and 50, then got the second overall pick, and then jump right back into the mix. And it's like, it is okay. Um, I, you know, my thought was like, this seems like a great time to like really hard pivot and like, you know, you should be going into this draft like, let's get a seventh overall pick that becomes kind of an a, an eventual pillar. But instead, I could see them doing something wild, like maybe flipping it for Jeremy Grant. Which, by the way, Detroit should do that like this minute if that is even near on the table, um, because that's just great value for two there's two teams Portland and Detroit I think should be rebuilding but if if one can get the seventh overall pick for you know Jeremy Granite whatever like you said 21 million they should do it and they're gonna be I mean look I think if I say Portland is interesting I feel like somebody who feel like the average person might think that Portland is interesting because of the Damian Lillard situation which we haven't even brought up yet I mean I, I'm just kind of taking it at, at his word and his actions, which is that he constantly says that he wants to stay and he has constantly stayed. So I, I am, I'm not anticipating that to change at all this summer. And obviously Portland is trying to build something around him. And quite honestly, I think there are a lot of parallels between uh, the situation that I covered in Washington with Bradley Beal, who's a free agent this summer and, and, and who I think the wizards are going to try to make, moves around to try to get better for him so they can bring him back and, and try to build around him. And I think it's it's a very similar situation going on with Portland right now, uh, even though they've they've had more winning in recent years than the Wizards have, where it's just like they are going to try to bring Dame back, but he's already in his early 30s. And if it doesn't work, like think about there are the eight playoff teams from this season. I can't imagine the Lakers are going to be any worse. The Clippers miss the playoffs and might enter next year as the favorites. The Nuggets are going to be better when they get Jamal Murray back. The Pelicans are probably going to be better because their young guys will continue to get better and they'll be getting Zion. Like, the West is... Michael Porter Jr. too for the Nuggets. Oh, yeah, Michael Porter Jr. I mean, the West is going to be a bloodbath next year. It is going to be unbelievably difficult. And I think it's... You could leapfrog... Portland could leapfrog two teams and still not make it into the playoffs. And it's just going to be... Really interesting to see what happens next because you have, I mean, Dame is going to be eligible for a giant extension, and that's something that there have been reports that that he wants in the long term. Uh, and and you yeah, also two have years, one hundred seven million dollars. Yep, and you have the rumors about about possibly selling the team and and Jody Allen possibly selling the team, which has been, you know, stuff that people around the league have talked about for 
for probably a few years now, and and the recent reports about about uh, you know Phil Knight making an offer for them. So I mean, there's there's just a lot of grander stuff that this offseason will mean to the organization long term, which which is it, it goes beyond just how many games are they going to win next year. The the franchise is clearly committed to Lillard and like the Lillard plan, and it's pretty obvious he has somewhat of a voice with this new front office. With you know, there does seem to be alignment, for, you know, from front office to Chauncey Billups to Damian Lillard, um, which you know you do want alignment, you know, from star player to coach to, to GM, and you do want a plan and you do want to stick to that plan. We can all doubt whether it's a wise plan, and you know, I would even argue maybe it would have been a time to trade Lillard, you know, just like I would argue Bradley Beal's time to be traded from Washington from, you know, smart management might have been years ago, really. But, you know, at least they're sticking to a plan and we know their plan. And that's why I think we all believe this summer they're not they're not rebuilding. You know, they're going to desperately, you know, search out win now moves. And if you are the rest of the league, you should be looking curiously at Portland because that is a situation you might be able to take advantage of. Like I said earlier, if you are Detroit. They Agreed. need to bring in defensive reinforcements. That's really what it is. Like that. That's why Jeremy Grant is the guy people mention. OG Ananobi is a guy people mention. Like they have consistently struggled like crazy on defense. They they completely changed the way they guarded pick and rolls like various times last year. Uh, you know Nurkic, who I think has always been a really good rim protector, like just just totally I think uh, fell off, and they sent them farther from the rim at the beginning of the year, and like they just. They need to get out of the bottom 10 in defense, which is where they've lived in recent seasons in order to be remotely competitive. All right, gents, good stuff on the old trailblazers. Uh, since we already kind of inverted things, Fred, by by flipping your list on its head, I'll throw it to Slater with, uh, with the question of if, you, if you're picking a number one most interesting offseason team heading into this crucial stretch, who comes to mind? Oh, geez. I mean... How about let's combine Fred, he didn't have a list. Teams. He didn't have a list, Fred. <laughs> let's combine two teams, and this is going to be a very Fred Katz-related segment, but how about the Nets and the Knicks? Oh, you and stole let's my throw Nets. The, it just seems pretty relevant right now. Let's talk about yeah. the Kyrie Irving situation. Yep, I mean, yep, Shams, yep. That's where I was going to go. Yeah. Shams reported that basically an impasse, I believe, might have been the term used. Uh, Great word. Yes. Um, it. You know, I don't Fred, I mean, how do the Knicks, considering their cap situation, get it to the point that they can realistically steal Kyrie Irving from across the city? They actually can do it cap wise. I mean, they it doesn't need to be a sign in trade. Like they can, they're they're about a million above the cap, um, and they can get about four million below the cap if they just renounce their free agents except for Mitchell Robinson and uh just just release Taj Gibson who's non-guaranteed. And at that point, they've got a bunch of expiring contracts. Nolan's Noel, Kemba Walker, Alec Burks, all those guys are coming off the books at the end of the year, at the end of in 2023, I should say. And you could do a variation of like I think you could just I think you could give Alec Burks to to a room team and they would just kind of take him. I think that's considered just like a, a neutral value contract. You don't have to attach an asset or anything like that. Um, you could, if you were feeling real crazy and you knew you were going to get Kemba Walker, you could just stretch uh, and wave uh, Kemba Walker. I, 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 I should say, if you knew you were going to get Kyrie, yeah. you could just stretch and wave Kemba Walker and Nerlens Noel if you couldn't find takers for those guys or it required first round picks to get off of them. And and that would really get you about twenty five million below the cap. Uh, you need to get to forty two to get to Kyrie's max number. Uh, at that point, 
you have to find a taker for Evan Fournier. And if you can find a taker for Evan Fournier who makes 18 million, they, you've you've created the room. Uh, the problem is there aren't a lot of teams with cap room this summer. So you have to get Detroit or you have to get Orlando or you have to get Indiana or you have to get San Antonio to take at least one of these guys. Or you have to get Oklahoma City who has cap room until free agency starts. Yeah, hey, hey, Oklahoma City, here's a future first in Evan Fournier's expiring contract. Okay. Thank you for Nick's future first. Unprotected, please. Yeah. Gosh, they've never done a deal like that before. <laughs> but I mean, I just I like the idea of the of the Knicks having to stretch like two guys and having six million dollars of dead money for the next three years after they just got Joakim Noah's dead money off of their cap this year. I love the term dead money too. Sam. Sam does dead money your, still spend? What's your perspective just on the Kyrie situation in general? The, you guys know me well. Um, I mean, I'm always kind of gravitate toward and intrigued by the the personal dynamics. Um, to see this go from you know Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden taking on the world uh, and and looking like just world beaters, at least on paper, to have it devolve into this so quickly um, is is pretty stunning. You know, and and Shams, you know, in his story, I thought the tone of it. You know, he didn't get too much behind the scenes in terms of the relationship stuff. But my goodness, like the idea that this is happening, the idea that that Kyrie is clearly not happy with whatever, you know, contract messaging is coming his way from the Nets. And this comes after whatever it was six weeks ago, Sean Marks having pretty, you know, pretty uh, clear cut quotes about wanting guys on this team who want to be here, want to play here. You know, all this kind of, you know, kind of subtweeting, if you will, of Kyrie that shouldn't have shocked anybody because that was such a major part of their season. But like the candor, I think did stun some people. And I even, you know, I talked to an executive yesterday who was just like, man, good for them. Like, you know, Kyrie didn't show up and and he chose not to get the shot and their season kind of spiraled from there. But my goodness, in the context later, I'll probably throw it back your direction because I know we're not talking really finals on this and warriors, but like, man, like to see the warriors win another title and then to see, the subplot and you know Kevin I'm sure hates the fact that he's all of a sudden part of of that narrative again but it is what it is like you know he chooses to leave the Warriors you know I, I was always in that camp I always am with free agents like it's his life big deal that's what he wanted to do but now you know the team you left wins another title the team you went to is falling apart all around you um, and then in terms of big picture and the the cliche legacy discussion that we talk about way too much it, it's just you know Kevin's late career situation is just less than ideal. And Kyrie's a big part of that. And if Kyrie bounces and does make one of these other situations happen, you know, no matter how bad those dynamics got, Kevin potentially is in, you know, a little bit on an island here. So I covered Kevin Durant's last four non-net seasons, and they were all as impending, unrestricted, as an impending unrestricted free agent. 2016, Oklahoma City, obviously that just was like a cloud over the franchise at all moments. Um, Ends up going to the Warriors, but signs a one-and-one with the Warriors. In all three seasons with the Warriors, he signed a one-and-one, which allowed him in a lot of ways to not only keep pressure on the Warriors, but basically hijacked the mood of the room at almost all times, right? I mean, Sam, you were around. It was like there was never a moment where Kevin Durant's upcoming free agency wasn't at you least some You had to laugh at time. all of his jokes. Like, that's yeah. what it is, right? Yeah. Like, and that, in some ways, a lot, you know, 
made it so the franchise always has to w- watch what they say. Sometimes they didn't, and that, that was issue, right? Obviously, the Draymond Green bench <laughs> situation. But hey, I was at a Warriors parade yesterday. Yeah, it made me think. Bob Fitzgerald. Yeah, yeah, it made me think back at the Warriors parade where Bob Myers, Steve Kerr took. I think it was kind of an unintentional shot, but it, it did not land well. Um, but anyway, like you know, because Kevin Durant always, it, and I think he learned it from the LeBron playbook back in the Cleveland days. Like just you know, you hold more control if you pretty much always keep yourself as a free agent. Um, but he's no longer one in Brooklyn. And I think part of the reason maybe Sean Marks believes he can be a little bit more um, transparent and forceful in even his public comments is Kevin Durant has signed a four-year max deal. He's, he's under contract starting next season for four years, $194 million. The last year of his deal, which, by the way, very richly paid. He'll get $53 million in the year, 2025-26. But that's his age 37 season. He, at this point, is tied to the Nets through his age 37 season. Now, we all know there are other ways to force your way out of situations. But it will be very difficult for Kevin compared to in his past. If, let's say, he was you know didn't want to play in Brooklyn if Kyrie leaves and it falls apart. It's going to be a lot more difficult than, hey, I'm a free agent at the end of the summer. Like, do what I say or else I'm leaving. Very surprising, by the way, that on that extension, Kevin Durant didn't get a player option. Like, I, I never understood how he didn't get a player option on that extension. Like, he's he's Kevin Durant. And he, you said, like you said, he's been so savvy with free agency stuff his whole career. I was just shocked to see him not get a player option. You you think the Nets cave on the Kyrie stuff? I get the sense that this is just about short-term sure. versus long-term yeah. money between them. The Nets wanting him to take a, a shorter-term deal. Like, for sure. They kind of have to cave, right? Like, I think that's the most likely scenario. When they were so, so insistent about not trading him at the deadline, you can't just lose him for nothing. It's not like you lose him and you get cap room and can go sign somebody else. They're over the cap no matter what. And they have Kevin Durant and still dominant entering his mid thirties. Like they kind of have to keep him. Um, right? Yeah, I mean it. It it is a rock and a hard place type situation for sure because you can puff your chest all you want, but your team's going to be, you know, very mediocre if you don't have Kyrie and you don't find a way to get something significant back for him in a sign and trade. They, they do need to just show more control of their franchise, though, and I do. They really do. Kind of. I mean. I was also going to say, I always, I think we all kind of hate trafficking in any sort of media speculation in terms of we all do our own thing and we, and we talk to who we talk to. Right. So that's my disclaimer. I remember watching Stephen A. Smith um, go on and, and have a long segment about how the Nets absolutely cannot give Kyrie anything more than a, a one year contract. And it was the type of like, I know he always had, is forceful with whatever message he has. But I walked away from watching that going, oh, man, he's been talking to some folks over there, you know, and, and it, it felt like the kind of thing that you're getting out into the ether early. And sure enough, that sort of vibe and that sort of approach seems to have been what the Nets ultimately did do. You got Joe Sy, uh, not to go too deep on it, but the Nets owner who if you go back to Nets training camp, um, I was down there and our Nets beat writer Alex Schiffer and I were both down there. And I remember Alex did a, a sit down with Joe Sai, where he covered a lot of ground, but there was a comment in there where Joe was was really honest about, you know, his stance on the vaccine, and and it was like this moment of truth from an owner, where he didn't just say the right thing in relation to Kyrie, he he spoke his mind, and then ultimately at that time we thought Kyrie might still get the shot, he didn't get the shot, and so obviously the kind of the, the divergence between the two sides only grew from there. Um, 
I don't know if they'll fold because Slater, you're hitting on it. Like culturally, it, it's right now. I mean, you just you had James Harden getting what he wanted, pushing his way out. You got Ben Simmons, who you thought was going to play late in the year. Um, you're not getting what you want out of him. You got Kyrie, you know, not getting what you want out of him. At some point, that is a pretty tough precedent to set. That that as executives, as coaches, that you're just kind of there as placeholders. Like, all right, guys, let us know when when you're actually ready to compete. Yeah. All right, you got Sam. Can we throw it to you? You got a team? Yeah, I'll probably pivot. Um, draft related. Um, you know, Atlanta to me is 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 one that is extremely intriguing. Obviously, in the news, big time for a number of reasons. Um, you know, the Hawks. You know, you're talking surprise um, Eastern Conference Finals appearance two years ago. A disappointing finish. Last year in this roster that, you know, when times are good, of course, the narrative was, man, look at all the depth, look at all the versatility, um, you know, it's, it's great. But then, it was you know, the embarrassment of riches, so to speak, you know, next thing you know, when they were falling short, it was like, man, look at all the movable parts, you know, look at all the, the ways they could take this thing. Um, so John Collins is front and center right now as a guy who is certainly being talked about a lot. Trade wise, um, you know, he ended up signing that extension a while back that they kind of tampered the noise uh, or dampered the noise on on his trade uh, situation. But it's been this imperfect marriage for quite some time between John and the Hawks. And, you know, they've been tied to Jeremy Grant, who we mentioned earlier. They've been tied to Sacramento, you know, for the number four pick. Um, and I think, you know, a, a deal that would likely involve Harrison Barnes as well. Um, there's about four or five teams in the mix. I've been told on the John situation. Uh, and I, th- I, you know, in general, I think we, a lot of times we analyze pressure with all these different teams, all these situations, you know, Tony wrestler, the Hawks owner is getting restless if you will. And, you know, they weren't happy with last year. Um, you know, they elevated Landry fields to the GM spot. They're adding to their front office in terms of scouting. In fact, Slater in your backyard, Grant Liffman, Joined them as a, a pro personnel scout, and he was doing media work for NBC Sports Bay Area. Uh, real good friends with Landry Fields. So change is happening out there, uh, but the pressure thing is real, I think. And so you know, I think whether it's this week or in free, you know, around free agency, I think John likely is headed outward, and, uh, and I'm just curious to see what they do. Yeah, remember the quote last season? So the Hawks went to the conference finals, and what was it like? 15 games into the season, they were just like not playing that well. And Trey Young was like, eh, regular season basketball is boring. It, <laughs> yes. You know, and that's a paraphrase, but it was no, like. That was about it. Yeah. Yeah. It was just. Steph a, didn't look very bored at that time. It will, to me, it was a good peek inside like an unrealistic expectations situation, whatever you want to call it, where it's just like the franchise did, did it once, did it to a point where I think if you objectively took a step back, you were like kind of a little bit of fluke. You know, you have a nice young core that you're building, but like you, you aren't some you know guaranteed contender over the next five seasons. But that doesn't mean internally there wasn't that belief. And and you know, you mentioned ownership's uh, desire to to get back and stay back. I think quickly, um, but also Trey Young, right? I mean, you know, this is a league about like stars and expectations and you know their desires and. Um, this feels like a pressurized, you know, moment to to get him the type of help that he wants or he believes that he needs to, you know, get back to to where he thinks, you know, fun basketball is played. And, and 
I just I thought that was that that quote I always think back to. Well, especially and when Sam, he just you watched. Mentioned... Sorry, for oh, yeah, real Sam, quick. Go ahead. Like, he just watched Luka Doncic finally pierce through the first round of the playoffs. You know, and and I know he would. I'm sure not ever admit that those kinds of things matter. But these guys are all competitive. You see that guy that you've always been compared to you know, doing big things and, and being the surprise story of this postseason in the way that you were in the last postseason. Um, you know, the Nate McMillan, you know, was widely celebrated and with good reason with what he did with that team, you know, once he was elevated two seasons ago. You know, now I think there's pressure there as well. Um, you know, again, it's all around and, and they've got other pieces to look at. I mean, you know, I think DeAndre Hunter is, is certainly part of their core. And like uh, not going anywhere, but just looking at their cap sheet, you know, you're talking about Trey and and, and Kevin Herter locked up for quite a while, and, and then Collins, and I mean Capella is the other guy that they like, but they're obviously trying to upgrade. Um, so again, a lot of moving pieces. Yeah, so, no, I was just gonna add, like they might have a completely new front court next year because Capella seems like he's a guy who they could they could move. I know Shams reported earlier this week that Minnesota's uh, a team that that could be interested in him. And, and, and I mean, look, if Onyeka Kongbu can stay healthy, which is a question, he is really good and they really like him. Like that dude can guard at the basket, away from the basket. He's a better passer. Uh, he's, he's a better passer than I think he was when he first came into the league. He's, he can do stuff around the rim offensively. Like he has been really good for them and has had some really big moments and has really become an insanely versatile defender, uh, really like a modern type defending uh, big man who can guard multiple positions and, and, and garden space and all those sorts of things, protect the rim too. I think they really like him. And I think that's part of what makes Capella expendable for them. And, and Capella's got, I think three more years left on his deal. Like that, that's a move that they could make as well. Like their roster could look very different because it could get really expensive. DeAndre Hunter is, is going to be, is going to be extension eligible and, and his progression is going to be really important for them too. If they, if they, if he comes out and has a great year, which he's shown flashes, but he hasn't put it all together of being a potentially really good two way player. Like if he comes out and has a really good year, all of a sudden you're, you're paying Herder that $65 million extension. You have Capella on a $90 million deal. You have John Collins on a $125 million deal. You have Trey Young, not just on a max, but on 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 a on a on a 30% max because he he's he's an all-NBA guy now, so he gets the more expensive max. Like you have Bogdanovich on a big deal. That that's just a really expensive roster. And you mentioned Tony Wrestler, like he had a quote at the end of last year where even he just admitted in an interview on the record, like at some point, this is going to get too expensive. Like they have been a consolidation trade candidate for like a year and a half now, and it hasn't happened. And I, I, you just, you just feel like some big move could happen there. Fred, Fred, were the Hawks, Knicks, or Nets on your top five? Any of those three? The Nets were. Okay, what the number? Knicks? The Knicks felt. Uh, the Nets were uh, number. Five. Okay. Were the Jazz on your top five? The Jazz are very much on my top okay, five. Let's, if okay, let's... Okay, hold on, kick hold us on. ad break, because I think Look Gobert you, there you go. the Hawks. That's what I was going to say. Yes, yep. we can go Jazz. I'm, I'm down with that. We're going to do that on the other side of this ad break, and we will be right back. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. 
Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, Slater's out here like Magic Johnson just running the floor. I like it. Good segue. Let's talk Utah Jazz. They were on Fred's famous list. What number were the Jazz, Fred? I had them at number three. Okay, we're just jumping all over your list. But I'll today. I'll, I'll make a confession us. halfway into this podcast right now. I didn't put that much thought into the ranking order. <laughs> don't don't tell the people that. Keep up your image, man. All right, Utah Jazz, Mister Katz. What particularly and specifically strikes you about this team that is now looking for a head coach after Quinn Snyder decided to step down? I think they have seventy-two top leading candidates for that position at the moment. Um, I say that kiddingly. I think it's 15. I saw the list that Shams wrote the other yeah, day. Yeah, f- 15, yeah. And what the only former head coaches on the list, Terry Stotts and um, and Frank Vogel, which I thought, and admittedly, I've not connected with, with people on the jazz side in the last couple of weeks about this, so I'm riffing here. But like, on the, I know we're not really focusing on the coach situation, but I found the list so interesting because – it's like, do you do you put do you put out a list of thirteen assistants and two head coaches, you know, in order to accentuate, make the head coaches look even better because you're going to go that direction, or you know, are you truly actually you know committed to to giving one of these other guys their first shot at it? And you know, in this season, when we've seen Ime Udoka succeed and Willie Green succeed, and and that model work, uh, so I'm very curious to see what they do on the coaching side. Uh, but as far as the team on the whole and the off season and the draft and free agency, what are you thinking, Fred? I just don't know what they're going to look like. I don't know who's going to coach them. I don't know what Jersey Rudy Gobert is going to be wearing at the start of next season. I think I know what Jersey Donovan Mitchell is going to be wearing. I, I, I assume he's going to be there, but in 2024, I'm not betting my life on him still being with Utah because who the heck knows what this is going to look like. They had such a weird trade deadline too. Like they've got Danny Ainge now kind of assuming a lead role in their front office, which is uh, obviously a cultural turnover. They had a really weird trade deadline where everybody and their mother knew they needed perimeter defenders. And then they went out and thought they'd fix the thing by getting Nikhil Alexander Walker. And, and I just feel like some kind of massive correction is going to come with that. But if you don't have Rudy Gobert on your roster, then your entire defensive makeup is different anyway. They just have, you know, my, they have they have Mike Conley on on his big deal still. There is there is a lot to talk about uh, with this team. Uh, and 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 by the way, it's it's not like they can go out and bring in a ton of guys to add to what they already have um, because they. They have a bunch of picks that are encumbered into the future, and, and they don't have many avenues of of being able to improve. Uh, uh, you know what they have there; they kind of have to renovate it fully. Sl- Slater, I would, Go- what are you thinking? We're watching Gobert, right? I mean, this this is to me what it's coming down to. Just like what happens with Rudy Gobert. Yeah, and I think too. You know, Fred mentioned Danny Ainge. I think Danny is a central character here. Um, you know, when Quinn decided to leave, uh, and we reported some of the stuff, I think Quinn's exit had a lot of layers to it. But I think one of them, there wasn't any sort of acrimonious thing by any means, but 
there had been so much change around Quinn and as kind of a central question of like, who's in charge here? Cause it went from a time when, you know, when Dennis Lindsay was running it and, you know, and Dennis was certainly running the front office, but Quinn had a, a lot of influence and maybe more, you know, influence slash power than most head coaches in the NBA. And then things were changing and now Danny Andrews showing up and Dwayne Wade showing up and, and Ryan Smith, their young owner is, is kind of taking the approach of, I'm going to cut a bunch of checks and add a bunch of people and a bunch of minds to the room. And it's going to be a different, you know, more collaborative process. And within all that, you know, fast forward to Quinn being gone. Here we are. Danny is, is running the front office. Justin Zanuck certainly right there with him, their GM. But uh, it's, it was interesting during the finals guys, just spending a little more time around the Celtics, around Boston people, you kind of got reminded, like, this is Danny the dealmaker age. I know he gets a rap for being the guy who's the almost dealmaker, right? The guy who was tied to every deal ever with the Celtics and, and kind of woulda, coulda, shoulda. But he also did do a lot of deals, and he's pretty aggressive. And and so the kind of the unofficial vibe from the Celtics side was like, oh, no, Danny ain't going to, you know, stand by and just roll it back with Donovan and Rudy. And so I think that part needs to be remembered. But I also think it's so interesting. This is a, a quick league-wide commentary. Like, we talk about the Nets and their dynamics. We talk about the Hawks and their dynamics. It never gets old for me when you see, like, the gap between these teams and these players and these, these execs. They kind of decide that they're, they're done with each other and they want something fresh and they want something better and they want something new. But then they wake up and they realize that they have to operate within this system that can be, you know, so incredibly constrictive or restrictive uh, in terms of like the freedom to make moves, you know, okay. you you fell out of lo- love with Rudy Gobert a little bit. Like I get it, but yeah, what's the path and the Avenue to get something better. It ain't easy. You know, the guy's pretty damn good. And, and I am like, you guys really curious to see, you know, where, if anywhere he lands. I started thinking about the jazz because we were talking about the Hawks and they seem like possible trade partners. Right. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, Collins and stuff for Gobert, and then suddenly the you know the Jazz just maybe uh, reinject some life with a new core in there. Donovan Mitchell and Collins and some other stuff could be you know kind of interesting. I don't think it's I like that. Suddenly, well, and a the, the Hawks too. I should have mentioned earlier. You know, they've been tied obviously to DeAndre Ayton, so it's that kind of a big, right? Like DeAndre's a restricted free agent. Well, defensive big, right? I mean, like yeah, that's. In some ways, like Trey Young protects Gobert the way Gobert protects Trey Young. It's like an offense defense combo that would seem to make a lot of sense. Again, I don't think that trade makes either team like, uh oh, watch out for them, like, you know, as a title contender next season. But I do think it jumbles up both cores in like a refreshing type of way. You guys, you guys have other, assuming Rudy Gobert gets traded, do you guys have other favorite Rudy Gobert destinations? Well, Chicago keeps being rumored, right? And that's another team that needs some defensive juice. They have all these like kind of mid-value pieces. The Vuceviches, you know, obviously Patrick Williams would be kind of like the the young um, piece that maybe they could move to Utah. I mean, I don't know any others. I I mean, mean, Dallas was rumored at one point. That doesn't seem to be on the table right now. At least, maybe I'm wrong. It doesn't. Well, Christian Woods, uh, right? The acquisition of Christian Wood probably changes that, right? I I, I have a I have a crazy idea that's based on absolutely no reporting. I like it. Doesn't get ready for the aggregator. Doesn't DeAndre Ayton sign and trade for Rudy Gobert 
I mean, you have to throw in other stuff to make the salaries work and everything. But doesn't like DeAndre Ayton and Jay Crowder for Rudy Gobert, doesn't that kind of make sense for both teams? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. You get a young guy to put with Mitchell who can grow and develop with Mitchell. And DeAndre Ayton is really good. Like, he's really good. And can you imagine Gobert playing with Chris Paul? Like, you give him Chris Paul, who makes Bismack Biombo look like uh, DeAndre Jordan. Like, there, that is, that could yep. be an incredible combination with Gobert's screen and roll game, the way that he defends. You have arguably the best rim protector in the league and arguably the best perimeter defender in the league with Gobert and, and Mikal Bridges. Uh, I just, I think it makes a lot of sense for both teams if they could work out something like that, because we keep hearing about the possibility of Aiton going elsewhere. I, I just, I think it makes sense. That's so I've just, talked about this uh, with folks around the league, and I feel like we might have maybe hit on, on the pod. <clears throat> Excuse me. But the age thing is the key there. And I just looked it up real quick to confirm it. You know, Rudy's 29. And so Rudy Gobert with Chris Paul, you know, you're getting the, the OG really old head and CP and a guy in Rudy whose window is obviously, you know, a, a lot, you know, less open. Than a DeAndre Ayton, who's 23, and Donovan Mitchell's 25. That, you know, we all know that the way team building goes, you know, those timelines matter. And so even that six year gap between, or four year gap rather, between Donovan and Rudy, you know, I think is not nothing. Uh, and, and it would make a sense, uh, make sense to be a, a win win, I think, for both sides. The Ayton thing, you know, not to jump around too much, but I mean, the Ayton thing is going to be wild because they, they won so many games last year. I know we're not going to dive in on Phoenix, but. They were so good during the regular season. I can't remember a situation like this where the formula seemed to be sustainable and good, at least for the next year or two. And yet, you know, even not even just because of the playoff failure, um, mainly because of the dynamics and the son's choice not to max out DeAndre, that he is holding firm on his feeling that he was disrespected by not getting the max offer last offseason and that everything that happened between then and now apparently it doesn't matter because the vibe coming out of his camp a hundred percent is that he wants to be on the move. And ultimately I think that'll happen. And, and I do like that fit with Utah quite a bit. Gordon Hayward vibes, right? Like remember yeah. Gordon Hayward when he was a restricted free agent, I mean, it's a little bit different in terms of the facts, but Gordon Hayward as a restricted free agent years ago, signed an offer sheet with Charlotte, Utah matched it to bring him back. Yep. And then for years, we heard Gordon Hayward was offended that Utah didn't just give him a contract. He had to go out and find a big contract with Charlotte for Utah to match it. And then Gordon Hayward hits free agency and he goes and he signs with Boston. And and that was cited as something that had an effect on him. Kevin Love getting only four years in an extension from, from Minnesota is another example of a similar thing. So like, Although, he, can I quickly highlight how hard these executives jobs are by also throwing another opposite example at you. And this is just last season, you know, the nuggets choose to do the player friendly thing and give Michael Porter jr. The max extension. And then he gets hurt. And now it looks like an extremely dicey decision. You know, I, and I've talked to people about that. Like I remember when the Aiden thing was going on from the Aiden side, that was kind of part of their narrative. Like, well, look what the Nuggets did. Like, Michael Porter Jr., like, they have faith in him, even though he's had health problems. Aren't, aren't they a great organization? You know, well, that would, we're not sure if that was the right move. So these jobs are hard. These are calculated risks that you're always taking. But, yeah, the Aiden Hayward comparison is on point, and, uh, and I, I don't think he'll be in a Suns jersey next year. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's honestly, that's a thing. We mentioned the Knicks a little bit. Another really interesting Knicks offseason thing is that R.J. Barrett is eligible for an extension, and he's never been at league average efficiency, but the counting numbers are really good. And I think he's going to want the max. And I think it's going to be a similar situation of like, I think RJ is like a really easy locker room guy, but it's just everyone in the NBA has an ego and you kind of have to weigh placating to egos versus do you really want to pay RJ Barrett a max contract? And and that's going to be a, a, a really interesting thing too, which the Suns did with, with Aiton last year. Sam, you want to kick us to our second break? I'll give you a surprise team on the other side. All right. Well, I don't know who your surprise team is. I'm guessing this wouldn't be a surprise. I'm going to make you talk about your surprise team. And then, you know, Fred just said it there. Like, we got to play Kate Egos. So, Slater, like, I know we got to talk a little bit of Warriors just because you're on the pod. So, you know, I don't want you to be upset. Um, (laughs) So, on the other side of this ad break, we get Anthony Slater's surprise team and a little bit of Dubs talk. All right, we are back for the home stretch of this offseason breakdown. Anthony Slater has a surprise team. What are you thinking, brother? Fred Katz, about three hours from now or so, me and Sam Amick will be going to Golden One Center to attend the Mike Brown introductory press conference for the new era of Kings basketball, which is, you know, loosely related to the Warriors, as Sam would like us to, to speak about. It ain't, it ain't real loose. <laughs> it is. Does a lot of feel ties. like a really important week for the Kings, um, and you know, I this is on my mind because I'm writing about you know their potential choice at the fourth pick, um, it, which does you know it feels like a pivot point in the draft, and also just kind of a little bit of a statement pick from the Kings, where um, you know most draft experts seem to think Jay Nivey has like um, you know is in that top tier or at least the the next player that has separated himself is like the fourth you know highest ceiling talent in this draft and if most teams are at four and those top three that are expected to go off the board take Jaden Ivey he's just like burst point guard with some John Morant vibes um you know grab him and 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 be happy with it but the Kings obviously are like usual kind of in in win now pressurized situation Monty McNair last season uh you know of his contract uh Mike Brown's coming in and Mike Brown's not coming in to be Mark Dagnall and like, you know, have this developmental team. He's coming in to try to win. Um, and Jaden Ivey overlaps with De'Aaron Fox and they're committed to De'Aaron, De'Aaron Fox and Keegan Murray, who you'd say is the lower ceiling choice, but fits what the this Kings roster needs a bit more, you know, wing can shoot it a little bit, probably fits better. And like, you know, doing winning things early in his career, not just being kind of a low efficiency guard, becoming a potential superstar. So, you know, maybe they traded. I know there's a lot of that out there, but I do think just it's kind of if they do use the fourth pick, it's a little bit of another of those statements like, are you going for the win now option because you really want to end this playoff drought compared to are you picking the guy that you think has the highest upside in Jaden Ivey? So that's why I think their week is very interesting. No, Number it is two for sure. on my list. No surprise. Hey, 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 hey. Their, wow. Their, their debate of whether or not of what the heck they are going to do with four. Are they going to trade it for a good player? Are they going to take Jaden Ivey? What the heck are they going to do with that? Is going to say so much about the direction of that organization, especially after they just traded Tyrese Halliburton for DeMontis Sabonis. It's 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 huge. And I also, honestly, I just wanted to make Sam talk about the Kings. That's 
I, I get so much pleasure in life hearing Man, Sam just go on monologues about the I don't want to hear what Sam has to say about the Kings. I want to hear what Uncle or Neighbor John has to say about the Neighbor Kings. Neighbor John. He, he had a few Almost thoughts Almost called yesterday. him Uncle John. <laughs> we, we played pickleball yesterday, so I got a few thoughts from Neighbor John. Uh, Neighbor John is not feeling the idea of, uh, of fit over talent. That concerns him. Um, and I think, you know, if that's his concern, it probably is with good reason because unless things have changed, you know, the sense I was definitely given from the King side going into the draft, you know, as they were kind of ramping up their work was that fit was a concern. Davion Mitchell was, you know, the, the pick that you take when you just decide best player, no matter what the roster looks like. Partly because the Luka Doncic, you know, subplot that hangs over them eternally was a cautionary tale in picking fit over talent. Because, you know, Vlade Divac at the time, their GM, um, believed in De'Aaron Fox so much that he just didn't see De'Aaron and Luka playing together, and that led them to Marvin Bagley. So Davion Mitchell becomes the pick, and you figure the rest out later. So that has the ripple effect of the Tyrese Halliburton trade. And now... You know, again, if if we're just if they were going to keep the pick, if they're looking at talent, uh, you know, for a number of reasons, I would be very surprised if they took Jaden Ivey uh, because of those reasons. And you know, the Keegan Murray thing is they've been tied to him quite a bit. You know, the uh, the forward out of Iowa, and and so that's the draft side. On the trade side, you, you know, we we always talk about that word pressure. Uh, as we were playing pickleball yesterday, the Queen song "Under Pressure" was blaring away. It was perfect. But like they have a GM who has an expiring contract and they made a choice to not extend him, uh, you know, after they hired Mike Brown. So now you have a coach with a long-term deal, a front office, um, you know, both Monty and Wes Wilcox who don't have long-term deals and, you know, and are looking at a kind of make or break situation. They can spin that how they want, but that comes with, we know those dynamics. And so I do think that the pressure to win is great. And I think that, um, you know, whether it's a John Collins thing or, or anything else they can get their hands on, you know, they are looking to to upgrade this roster. They are looking to compete now. You know, I mean, we talked at Portland about Portland at the top of this pod in the context of the West and how loaded it is. Like a team like the Blazers has no realistic, you know, expectation right now of really piercing into West contention based on how deep it is. The Kings are in a similar boat, you know, and they don't even have a player the caliber of of Damian Lillard. So um, a lot of moving parts there going to be a very interesting week. You know, Mike Brown decided to take that on. I think it's a very good hire. I think he'll be good. I, you know, Slater, you and I chatted. I think this is fine to share a little bit. We chatted with Mike during the finals a little bit about the early goings with the Kings. And it seems like he's, he's got a good thing going with the Aaron Fox early on in terms of his offseason program. So, you know, we'll see where they can take it, but uh, for sure, a, a very interesting Kings week. All right, you want to move downstate or? West? Yeah, let's wrap up with the Warriors. Um, you know, I did. I chose not to go to the parade yesterday. Um, Slater, I think you were out there uh, jumping around on floats and 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 doing your thing. Um, rode the Kavon Looney float. I wrote a story about it. If anyone's interested in Looney, but it was you know, it was, Looney such the. Is that? I mean, he's looming? an interesting. He's probably the most, in some ways, the most pivot point in the Warriors offseason. Yeah, if we can that's and that's where we'll go. So looming, uh, looming Looney free agents. Uh, that's a mouthful. Um, you know, Kevon Looney is up. Gary Payton the second is up. 
yeah, you know, Brian Windhorst of ESPN kind of coined this phrase that did not make the Warriors happy, you know, the checkbook champions or whatever it was. Like that idea that the Warriors are, are, are willing to pay no matter what it takes. And they were doing that before they won their fourth championship. And so now um, what is the outlook when it comes to this team that in terms of roster wise, you know, if you have the ability to, to hold on to these guys and just run it back, then, you know, logic tells you go ahead and do it. But that luxury tax bill is, I think, potentially upwards of $400 million and, and a lot of cash. But Chase Center is is also, you know, become a, a cash machine in its own right during this finals run. What What's the outlook for your for Golden State? I mean, they, they say they're willing to keep spending. And I mean, like you said, the paydays of the playoffs will help. Um, you know, they kept... Before the closeout in Boston, they kept losing the first closeout opportunity in uh, in every series. Lost in Denver, set up a game five at home. Lost in Memphis, set up a game six at home. Lost in Dallas, set up a game five. So that's you know they just kept adding extra playoff gate and you know in as you look back on it, you never want to lose road eliminate or uh, you know closeout games, but just kept adding money to the coffers, which is going to be needed heading into the summer, where you mentioned. I, you know, when you talk to them and I, I talked to Joe and, and Bob on the record, you know, uh, after the title and they're saying like, you know, we're willing to keep spending. We want to bring everybody back, you know, within the core. And to me, the three names you kind of already mentioned, but it's Otto Porter, Gary Payton and, and Kevon Looney. Um, but the turn and, you know, Myers even said, he's like, but we got to see what their market is. Right. I mean, it's like, it's one thing to say, Hey, I want to bring Kevon Looney and Gary Payton, the second back. But what if, you know, you know, uh, so team X says, here's you know, 14 million per year, Gary Payton. The second we think you're the starting wing, it's like, whoa, okay. And then, you know, because every dollar times it by five, essentially, you know, like a $10 million contract for the Warriors is like a 50 million, like they actually pay 50 million basically for that $10 million contract. Um, so they're, I mean, they need, I think they're going to try to watch it and be reasonable with also the belief. And I think where their leverage power this summer is for guys like Porter, Looney, and Peyton is, you know, maybe take a little less because do you really want to leave this? Perfect fit for your style of play, fan base that loves everything about you. I'm out there on the float yesterday with Looney, and it's like they're everywhere he goes, they're chanting, Loon! And like, you know, he's, he's, I mean, he's basking in it. And this is 10 days before free agency. He's basically being showered with love from this fan base that's like, you know, suddenly thinks he's like this Moses Maloon. They're they're calling him basically Maloon. out here. <laughs> so um, it's just going to be difficult that. for him to leave that. And I think, you know, as the negotiations go, I think the Warriors are hoping to try to use that right that drawback of like, you know, I know maybe you know this team might offer you this, but would you take this <laughs> l- slightly lesser amount to? You know, That's stay in a situation where you're a key contributor to a team that'll be considered a title contender, maybe even the favorite, if if they keep everyone together. Were there any Slater chants out there? That's what I really want to know. Man, you really trying to stroke the ego today. Yeah. Uh, there were a few, hey, you know, maybe not chants, but, you know, it's, it's good to see, you know. <laughs> oh, you hear that, Fred? He signed Drown, autographs drowned out, Drowned out by Marcus Thompson chants, though. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. And when I say Kawa Marcus Thompson me, chants, Kawa I mean Marcus. Me. Yeah, I just mean Marcus was chanting his own name. That's wow. that's all I meant. And by chants, I meant F Slater, like the Celtic style. <laughs> In Oklahoma City, there were the Trader Slater chants. Wow. That was, that was great. And his Cantor started those, right? Ennis I mean, Cantor, really an when Ennis I went thing. to cover the Warriors after Durant left, Ennis Cantor 
Uh, I don't believe he made the Photoshop, but it was at some point brought to him that he used <laughs> on Twitter, and it was a Photoshop of my face on, you know, remember the KD My Next Chapter Players Tribune? Oh, I remember. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, and then he put that out and said, I'm going to burn your news. Because <laughs> it was the burning the sounds, jersey thing. So. That's hilarious. Sounds, sounds extremely in character. Yes, it does. All right, gents. Good stuff. Uh, I don't know if Fred, did we complete your list or no? Do we have do we have empties on your list? Uh, we missed one team. Who did we miss? Uh, the Los Angeles Lakers. Oh, they're pretty. That's a pretty good one. Do we have like a thirty second version of that? Thirty second version of that is what the heck is going to happen with Russell Westbrook? So, and how the hell are they going to be better than the forty nine loss team? Maybe I'm wrong, but to me, my argument maybe against them being that interesting of an offseason team is I think we know what's going to happen with Russell Westbrook. He's just going to stay and they're going to, they're going to try to make it work. Right. I, I would mean, agree. Yeah. We'll see we, can, it, we can sit here and debate the, you know, wiseness of that choice, but in some ways I just think they're handcuffed. <laughs> what can they do? Yeah. I th- I'm sure. I mean, listen, I would love to, to be a fly on the wall in Rob Palenka's room. Cause like every team, I guarantee you, and, and you hear some of this chatter, like there's some wild ideas being bounced around internally, but it's tough to, to kind of get those things out into, you know, into reality. Um, so, you know, who knows that it's Lakerland. And, and I think the Warriors, to be honest, winning the title the way they did, cutting the checks the way they did um, from, to the, you know, Lakers and beyond, it, it does, it sets a pretty high bar um, that you talk about that word pressure. We keep going back to, that applies pressure to, to every owner, every organization out there that it's just like, man, like this team didn't sit there and, 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 and cry about the luxury tax and, and act that, you know, like that was an excuse. You go back to the Lakers off season last year and, and the choice not to re up Alex Caruso, that was tied to the tax, things of that nature. You know, we just saw in the finals, this is what makes their, the owner's job so hard is like, you can't look into a crystal ball and find out that Gary Payton II is going to come up incredibly big in the NBA Finals against a Boston Celtics team that looked early on like they were better defensively. But then Gary doing what he did on that contract, that what was his base salary, Slater? Gary? Yeah. Uh, it was minimum, one point. You know. Yeah, but it cost him, I think, $12 million, right? Yeah, yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. So, you know, so that's a choice that – that they, you know, they almost lost Gary because they had cut him earlier in the year. You don't know when the fifteenth guy is going to come in handy, and for the Lakers, all these other teams, like that's that's the bar now. And so, for sure, Lakers are up against it. We're going to talk about them all year. We could probably, you know, we'll see what happens this week. Maybe we'll dive in more on the Lakers next uh, next week on tampering. But uh, I'm going to leave it there. Thank you, gentlemen. I appreciate you, Slater. I will see you out at our favorite uh, Tesla charging station a little bit later. Yes, sir. (laughs) Should be interesting. All right, guys. Be good. See you.